children will be staying in with us. So uh, hopefully they received a, a bulletin that was out in the foyer. And um, we are continuing in our series on a living, our living hope. Our living hope. And this morning we're going to be focusing on hope for the hurting. We seem to try to categorize it and say it's now, last week it was hope for the hard-hearted and we didn't have anything to do with that, did we? Ha! We need, you know, Christ's hope is is for the hard-hearted. But um, Christ's hope... The hope that he offers is for the hurting. And um, let me just say this as we get started. Each and every one of you in here are hurting. And you at one point needed his hope and his help in your life. Um, And a lot of times we don't realize it. I want to say this. I, I think it's important. It's 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 hard, but to say you know, um, in April of 2009, you know, we had no clue what was going on in Sarah's leg. We had no clue, and um, and thus you know, we find out she's got cancer, and then we go through all we went through, and. Um, there's a, you know, this parallel for each and every one of you. The parallel is, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we just don't think that we got, you know, everything's going our way. Is everything going your way in your life? Um, for most of you older folks, you know, uh, we, we understand. No, it doesn't always go our way. But younger folks, younger people, there's times in your life where you think everything's supposed to go my way. And... Uh, I just so appreciated, Katie, Katie, thank you for that, that little lesson for all of us. Um, we get some of those sand particles in ourselves and we don't like it. And yet, in, in, a, in this case, with what we're dealing with here this morning from the Word of God, we're dealing with um, really not just a, a grain of sand in, in our lives, but something far worse. It's called our, our sin nature. And a lot of times, even preparing for this message, I end up thinking, oh, you know, we've got hurting people in our community. And they need the hope of Jesus in their lives. And then I stop and I I weigh it out and I look at the passages that we're going to be dealing with this morning and I realize it's not just for the, the poor and the hurting and the outcast and the downtrodden or whatever description we give them, it's, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. And it's a good thing that I wasn't on the leadership uh, uh, crew in the time of Jesus. Um, you know, we think of uh, going to leadership conferences and leadership seminars. Um, and it's like, if you look at what Jesus did, you think, wait a minute. You missed out on all these leadership principles, Jesus. You picked out all these guys um, for your disciples, and you, you I think you missed something, Jesus. I mean, you might have gotten one right with Judas because he was a go-getter. 
you know, and we think in terms like, you know, Jesus, you got to get the, the really powerful guys, the go-getters. And he didn't do that. And, um, you know, it, the, the amazing truth is that Jesus thought far bigger than any one of us would have given him at the time. <laughs> Much bigger than anyone had figured. No one, listen, no one in all of history went out and went after the hurting like Jesus. No one. He reached out to them. No one ever offered the kind of hope that Jesus offered. And this morning, we're going to consider three examples of this truth. Each of these examples came forth. Listen to this. Each example came forth in the midst of increasing conflict against Jesus and what he was trying to do. And in here's this increasing conflict that he's receiving from Pharisees and the religious system. And Jesus demonstrates these three things. And we're looking at the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to look at three different passages. And we're starting in Matthew chapter 9. So please take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Remember this background. Increasing conflict against what Jesus is trying to do. Matthew 9, starting at verse 32. And as they were going out, behold, a dumb man, demon-possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke. And multitudes marveled, saying, nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. See, something always they, they're looking for and something always to try and trip up because their religious system is being threatened. Okay? And they have a lot of... The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the religious system have a lot of control over people and what they end up doing is demeaning the people and putting the people down and putting heavy loads on the people. Burden after burden. In verse 35 it says, And Jesus was going out about all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And that's the verse we want to focus in on here this morning as we look at these uh, truths of how Jesus demonstrated here's hope for the hurting. And the first one is um, it's Christ's compassion, very clearly, very simply. Christ's compassion. And it, it describes it, 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 and he sees these people as being distressed, as being downcast. And other versions, the New International Version and the English Standard Version say harassed and helpless. Okay? And it's not because of their, you know, their jobs that they're referring to, you know, or their, their mean boss, the, you know, old Scrooge back at work. No, this is in reference to, here's, here's the context. And, you know, the idea that the, 
here's what the Pharisees had laid upon them. And, and thus, and, and all, so much of life's issues and situations. And, you know, how does it get this way? And we think, oh, it's a lot because of what goes on in a person's life. But really, what I was referring to at the start is that it's because of the condition we're born in. That's why we are harassed and helpless when it comes right down to it. It's the condition we're born into. You know, and um, had a baby shower yesterday for Sarah. And there's other little babies in the nursery. And we go, wow, isn't that great? But I hate to just throw, you know, throw water on the party here or something, but those babies have a sin condition in them. It's not that it happens at six years old or seven years old. They're born with it. And we, we need to understand that. That's the condition of the human heart. You know, you stop and think about it as a kid. You know, what kind of things did we do as kids? And we say, oh, it's, it's, it's harmless. But there's a little, a little tracking of rebelliousness there. And it's not like, mom, you, you trained him while dad was at work to be rebellious. You know, uh, dad, you didn't do it while mom was off, you know, whatever. It, this is the thing. We've got this streak in us. It's, it's our very nature. And so we have this condition. And Christ is saying, uh, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. And um, we've, you know, in the past studied this before. Um, what's meant here, it's, you know, and young people, this is where, you, you know, it's might, you might like this. You know, it's, it's from the guts. It's from the guts that he's, he's moved with compassion. You know? And we say it nowadays a little more calm and tame. We say it more like, well, from the bottom of my heart. You know? But this is more from your, you know, your internal organs. You're just moved with compassion. And that's what Jesus showed. It's something that he, he saw through all the masks. All the masks that people put up to make it look like they're okay. Uh, he saw their cover-ups. He saw their true condition of their, the, the true condition of their heart. And he felt anguish for them. And anguish in his soul. Um, sharing, and this is where it does. Jesus, um, there, there's this feeling, his, the feeling that he has towards these people. It's not just an academic kind of response. And I think a lot of times that's what we deal with. We're, we're dealing more, you know, with the academic kind of responses to situations. I know that's a tendency that I have, you know. I, and um, there's a, a a study done where they they brought in seminary students, and they were supposed to give some uh, paper on this passage of the Good Samaritan. And on the way in, they had a little camera, you know, tracking what they did when they passed by this guy that was laying on the sidewalk, you know, and. Here's the, you know, one passing after another, just passing by. And, you know, Christ wants us to respond like He does. You know, Jesus Himself knew because He was, think about it, He was raised in a home that wasn't wealthy, right? He experienced rejection from His own hometown neighbors. They rushed upon Him trying to throw Him over a cliff push him off a cliff, his own hometown. He understood what it was to be rejected. 
He knew of loneliness. Okay? He knew of, of being tempted, right? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. The Bible says he was despised and rejected. He was hated. Jesus knew the feeling of pain and what is to hurt deeply. And yet he saw the, the great need of lost people. Those who are harassed, distressed, troubled. You know, sometimes when we really stop and look at someone, what happens? We're busy. We're going about and, and it's like if you stop and, and take a, a, a closer look. What do you see in the eyes of another person? Do you see that they might be in pain? That they might be hurting? A lot of times we don't see that. We don't catch it. Uh, you know, knucklehead Swenson. I didn't know. What, how come I, if, if we just watch and look. And, and really in this time of, you know, talking about this whole idea of hope for the hurting. We can be a group of people that inject hope into others' lives. That's the idea of encouragement. We're injecting courage and hope in their lives. That's really what we want to get at. You know, he saw these people as, as harassed and helpless. You know, outwardly, we all want to appear like we got everything under control. Calm, resolved, right? Um, you know, kids, what is it like at, at school when somebody gets embarrassed in front of everyone? You've been there? It's like no one, no one wants that. I mean, especially high school people. Ah! No, can't handle that. I'm so embarrassed. I want to, I want to move and go to another school, mom. And so we get older and we learn, we learn how to put the cover on, how to put the mask on. Right? See, Ephesians 2.12, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2.12, mark it down, talks about people being without hope and without God in the world. And we constantly try to cover up for that issue and, and, and show that we're really okay and we can stand on our own and we're, we're going to make it. And, you know, stick out my chin and I'm going to take on the whole world. But all the while inside, things are kind of coming apart. Notice in verse 36, what does he finish it with? They're like what? Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Defenseless, they, you know, they're not going to do very well. And so, we look at that first. There's Christ's compassion. And, you know... How do we learn more about Christ's compassion? Spend time reading about Him. Spend time talking to Him. Spend time trusting, you know, spend your life in trusting Him in all these areas and all these issues of life. His compassion. Let's move on. Let's look at a um, couple of chapters over. Matthew chapter 11. And the, the conflict increases. And I, it, it keeps coming. And in Matthew 11, another, again, 
rather familiar verse in verse 28 where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load, my burden is light. Okay, so now we have, here's the, the aspect of Christ's rest. The rest that only He can give. The rest for your soul. Okay, not a three-day weekend rest. But the rest for your souls for this life and the life to come. And we need to let that sink in more and more and more. Are we getting used to that Are we accustomed to that rest in our lives now? That He has accomplished all that is necessary, that He is enough? He says, you who are wearied. And really this again is getting back to the the idea that most of the commentators say is the excessive legalism is the result of the excessive legalism of the day. Laboring to please God in their own power. And heavy laden, this, this idea of an intense burden brought on by the frustrations of man-centered attempts to please God. And again, you have to go back into the realm of Judaism to understand that. That's what they were about. It's about your performance. And you better get your, your life right. And you better get your kids' lives right. Right? And it's all up to you. By coming to Christ, he says, come to me. Right? And we, we run right over that so often. But he says, come to me, not some religious code or system or tradition. By coming to the person of Christ in my condition as weak and weary, as, you know, without hope, as harassed, Come to Him in that condition. I will find true rest. You will find true rest from this. From all the hoop jumping. You know what I mean by that? Oh, i got to do this. By all the ladder climbing. Of feeling like I've got to get better for God. By all the... Look at me and be impressed, God. Look at this. I did this. And all the times that I've been right, God... All the times I've tried to do good, God. See, I get released from that. You get released from that when we come to Christ. Because He did it. He was perfect in pleasing God. You and I never, ever, ever in our lives. But because of Christ and His righteousness, when we put that righteousness on, we're right with God. And we put on that righteousness by what? Faith in Christ. Okay? So, every time, every day you get dressed, just remember that. If you're a believer, you need to remember that. I'm dressing and I'm remembering. I'm I'm dressed in the righteousness of Christ. If you're not a believer, you are in rags. You're in rags. You're you're filthy in God's sight. Why? Because of your sin. It's because of your sin. You need to make things right with a holy, perfect, righteous God. Don't try and impress Him with your, you know, painting the outside of the barn. Excuse my 
parallel there. I'm not trying. You know what I mean, though? You know, we try and paint the outside, make it all look good for God and and each other. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. And then he says, and I myself will give you rest. That's the emphasis in the Greek there. Not only is Jesus able to do it, he will do it. He will give you rest. Now, contrasted by the religious leaders of the time, Jesus assures them that he is gentle and humble in heart. The conflict that was increasing, you know, people were, you know, remember, they, they brought the, uh, they brought the woman uh, caught in adultery before Jesus. And they were like, you know, standing there tossing up the rocks, ready. Jesus. You know what the law says, right? And he says, you who are, that are without sin, cast the first stone. And they dropped their rocks, they, and they walked away. Jesus went to the issue. And he demonstrated while getting to the issue of the matter, the heart of the matter, he shows what? Compassion to the woman. Go and sin no more. Okay? So, and by the way, he says in this passage in, the, in verse 30, my yoke is easy and my load is light. And that's what he's bringing forth is that you're already under a yoke of bondage and slavery by trying to perform for God in your own way, in your own right, with your own righteousness. And, and his yoke is what? Easy. Another way, somebody put it this way, his yoke, it's a really, really good fit for you. Okay? Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Okay? So, his compassion, and secondly, his rest, and we see his, his love is, you know, demonstrated through all this. And then number three, turn to, uh, over one chapter, in chapter 12, in chapter 12, we see uh, an interesting situation building up here. Again, conflict is rising. There's argue, more arguments coming up at him. He said um, he's, he's healing the, uh, the man on the Sabbath. And this, this, the Pharisees are like, no, no, this, this guy, you, you can't do that, Jesus. You can't do that. Um, and, and in verse 11, it says, uh, in his response, he's saying, what, what man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? <laughs> Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Stretch out your hand, he says to the man. He stretched it out. And it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him. What does it say there? Look at what it says. And he healed them. He healed them all. Wait a minute. 
Aren't they supposed to like make a confession of faith in Jesus before he heals them? What's the deal here? He healed them all. And this, again, is showing his compassion to the multitudes. And we pick it up again and he, he, he says, Jesus uh, warned them. Verse 16, look at it. He warned them not to make him known. Now, wait a minute. How come, how come he says that? Don't make me known. And it's like, wait a minute. Jesus, you can, you can do all this in your power. We, we want to go tell people. And I think a lot of people did anyway. They went off and told people. But he's saying, don't, don't go and, and tell others about this. And what does he do? In order, and he explains it right here, verse 17, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, okay, and here's the answer he gives, behold, my servant whom I have chosen. He's, here's now the quote from Isaiah. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Now listen, right there, stop right there, and you know what he's going to do? He's not going to make a big splash for everyone. That's one way to put it. Why? Why doesn't he make a big splash? You know? And I think that the, the answer is, he doesn't want the fickle just looking for another Another big miracle again. Oh, do another miracle for us, Jesus. Do another one. So he's, he's warning against that. He's not trying to impress with, you know, his miracle working power. He'll do it. But what does he want? He wants to show forth his humble heart. Now again, take this, stay with me in this, Take this thought and go into the realm of here's the, the religious system that they're dealing with. They might not be in Jerusalem all the time, but it's there. The, the whole religious system has spread throughout the country. And it's about, you know, if you, if you were just like me, a, a Pharisee, you, you'd be much better off. You know, and that condescending look that they have upon the commoners. And so he's, he's coming forth with his humility, which is totally opposite from the world's system. Even back then. Same thing with it now. We've got, you know, you, you get with the right group and it's, it's like, here's the power group. You know, you'll be successful and you'll, this will be what happens in your life if you follow, you know, the self-achievers. Okay? Well... He shows his gentleness. Look at verse 19. He's not going to quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. You know, oh, I have to say this. <laughs> We've got an election year coming up. Talk about hearing a voice in the streets. And talk about, you know, all the, you know, slams going on against others, you know. But, but Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is not raising his voice to that level, so to speak, to gain attention. And look at what it says in verse 20. A battered reed he will not break off, 
and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So he's showing forth his, his gentleness, his humble heart. And he's referring to two seemingly insignificant items of common use. Okay, And both of them weak in nature, weak in character. The battered reed. What's that? Um, the idea that reeds were found, where, you know, out in the, out in, you know, where they would do the shepherding, and reeds would be used in, in a sense, you know, that the shepherds uh, might pick one out and and uh, start blowing in it like a, like a little um, flute or something. And after a while, it got you know wet from the the saliva or the touch of the hand, and it would just be you know no good anymore. So you crumble it up and throw it away and, you know, take a break from it and later on go get another one. And they're just, just the kind of thing that you could blow in and do that, you know. You remember how you get those wide pieces of, of grass and put them between your thumb? <laughs> well, it's a little different, but there's, it's kind of a reed effect. You know, you put a reed on a, on a clarinet or, or a saxophone, okay. And after a while you have to put a new one in because it gets kind of worn out. And it's not that big of a deal. Just kind of throw it away. Just kind of throw it away. Let it sink in. He's not going to blow out a smoldering wick, secondly. And this is related to the term linen. Uh, linen. And the idea was that you took this you know, linen and... and dipped it in the oil and, and got it to stay there and then the, the linen would be, you know, soaking up the oil and, and you would, you know, light it and boom, there, you know, there you have a, a little light, a, a lantern type of thing. But if the oil was, was draining out and wasn't there, wasn't, you know, hadn't been refilled, the wick would start smoldering. And not just smoldering, but then it would start disintegrating, falling apart. Folks, what is Jesus saying? I'm not going to break off a battered reed, a smoldering wick. I'm not going to extinguish it. Let it sink in. I don't know where you're at this morning in, in your condition. And it might be that you're putting on the good show. You're putting on the good appearance in front of people. But inside, Jesus sees your heart and He sees a reed that is just ready to be crunched up and thrown away in the eyes of other people. And He sees this smoldering wick of your life. And He, he you know, you think you're just about done and burnt out, as we say. But he, he, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. He, he, you know, here he, here's our condition. He knows it. We can't hide it from him. He will not break that reed that's already battered and considered useless. You know, how many times do we end up feeling useless? He does not extinguish the wick 
that's on that last little spark because Jesus is for those who have been bruised and battered and crushed and despised. He is for the weak and the weary. If that's you, you have a welcome with Jesus. How do you like that? It's not like you've got to, you know, score extra points. He's for you. You can trust in Him. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is. You believe that? You convinced of that? Trust in His kindness. Trust His compassion to do its work in you so that you will do His goodwill in your life. You know, just remember, when the world would toss things away because it's just useless, Jesus will take you. Jesus will restore you. Jesus will strengthen you. And, and you know, He will give purpose in life. Purpose in life to give Him glory. You know, you think of, of this issue of the, the hurting in our, in our midst. The hurting there in Fallon. The hurting that are in this, in this state and in the world. There's a lot of people that especially come under this in a, in what we would say is an outward, physical, uh, mental, you know, kind of a way. People that are hurting. And here, the majority of us in here know the, know Jesus, have faith in, in Jesus Christ, call ourselves Christians. And the challenge is today that you and I would demonstrate that compassion in our lives that Jesus demonstrated. And that we would say, you can find rest in the Savior. And you can know of Him and His gentleness and His kindness, even though you might feel like you're, you're the, the, the mud of the world. The broken, the battered, the weak and the weary, the harassed and the helpless are not just of the Jews. They're people all over the world and right here in Fallon. And Christ and His message are for the people of the nations. It goes on to say in chapter 12, we'll go back to there, look at what it says. Until He leads justice to victory and in His, names, in his name the Gentiles will hope. He is the hope of all peoples of all nations. He is the, the true hope. And think of all the people of the nations that are in bondage right now, right today. They're in bondage in their, in their setting right now. And look at what we have. People that don't know real freedom we need to get the word out and, and continue supporting missionaries. Like Brennan said this morning, you know, we're gonna, you know, show an increase in missionary giving. And that's, you know, because of, here's what you have done and continue to do, people, supporting to this ministry. He is the only hope. Okay? But obviously, they have, you know, people have to recognize their true condition, their helpless condition before really coming to faith in Christ. That's the condition. You've got to admit it. You've got to repent of sin. You've got to acknowledge your sin before a holy God and call out to Him and say, 
take my life, Lord. Take over. I, I put my trust in you. Wasn't that video excellent that Patty showed? And that's the kind of thing that we're behind. And we want to continue being behind, you know, and supporting. And not just with children, but with young people. You know, junior high, high school students. So, we're going to close. And there's something on your outline that you see on the back that you think, oh my goodness, we're going to be here another two hours. But, oh no, not at all. We're going to go through this quickly here. I just want you to remember, there's a review. Now, Here we've been on this series, Our Living Hope. And hope is not and has nothing to do with wishful thinking. If you've been doing the wishful thinking thing, get off that train and get on the, the hope with confidence and trust in Christ and His promises. You need to be on that and recognize He will fulfill His promises in your life. But you've you got to get away from the, the I, I wish, I wish upon a star, whatever that is. Don't. Okay? It's having a confident expectation in God's promises. It means that something is certain, and yet, yet, what do we do? We keep waiting. We keep waiting. We will wait. And you, you get your concordance out and you study and you check it out. How often the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Have hope in Him. Wait on Him. Wait on the Lord and you'll renew your strength. Got that? There we go. We gotta keep after that. Okay? Our hope is in Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. It is a hope and anticipation of the day when we're no longer weak and weary. We're no longer bruised or battered by sin, by Satan, by this world system. There's going to come a day when Satan will get his own. Okay? And Christ will be exalted. He's exalted now, but everyone's going to see it and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, listen. You and I as believers must be planting and developing or nurturing hope. That's what's at the bottom on the front page of your outline. Hope must be planted and nurtured. Now, here's where I want to get into some very simple things. Very basic. And this is simply done to help stimulate more ideas in your heart and in your mind with your, in your life as an individual or as a family. It starts with basic level ideas on the back of your outline. Faith, hope, and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand the gospel. If you're here this morning and you do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to help explain that to you. We want to, you know, it's in your bulletin every week. In your bulletin every week. And it's something that we want to talk about with you. It's not about you being a better person. It's about you acknowledging that you're in the helpless condition you are of sin and calling out to Christ. Okay? There's the gospel, that first one. Second one, where the blanks are. Growing in and acting upon the Word of God. Simply stated. We know this. If you've been coming here for any length of time, you know it's about growing in the things of the Word and acting upon them. Applying them in your life. Then the next one is conveying 
conveying worth to others. This is where hope is starting. Now we start um, with the word, with the gospel and understanding the gospel for myself, okay, and under and acting upon that, and now growing in and acting upon the word. Now, okay, I'm, I think I'm a little more ready, and I want to convey worth to you, worth in your life, not the kind of you know health, wealth, prosperity. Oh, you you know, you just need to you know realize the. You know, the great potential, in, I know, all sorts of ways that it's said, and we've got to be careful about that. But we need to be a people that convey worth to others, their importance. Why? Because we've got people around us that we don't recognize who are downtrodden, harassed, and helpless. They're weak, they're weary. And we need to convey worth to others. Subpoints under that. So just get in the habit of plenty of praise. Give plenty of praise to people. Parents, I know. I've been here. I know. It's real easy to nag your kids. That, I guess, has its place. But it does not need to be dominated. You need to build up your kids. Convey worth to them. You watch when you start doing that. You watch what happens in their eyes. They light up. There's life now. If it's always nagging them, you you can see them. They're just downcast. Here we go. Downcast and wearied. Because I can never please mom or dad. Right? Convey worth to them and do it through plenty of praise. And again, locked into the things of God's Word. Not just doing it, you know, randomly or whatever. Then, secondly, careful and loving discipline. That has to be there. They see that you will say, No, not a, no mas. You, you don't cross that line. Loving, careful discipline. Whom the Lord loves, He what? Hebrews chapter 12. Get that down, mom and dad. And it doesn't always, you know, um, it's not always a matter of, oh, you got to get the big stick out and, and, or the big whatever and whip them. That's not necessarily the initial thing. You've got to figure that out. And I am, I will say it in front of y'all, I am a supporter of spanking your children. Yes, you need to spank your children if, if that's what's necessary. Okay? And they will love you for it if you do it in the right way that God tells us to in a way that's designed like He designed it. Loving, careful discipline. Then, next point, spend time. Oh, that's so easy, right? Ah, do we really? Do we really spend time with them? Do we really spend time in listening and laughing? Those are the subpoints there. Just listening and laughing. Listening. We have a problem sometimes. We got so much stuff cooking in our brains. What did you say? <laughs> huh? We're not listening. James chapter 1 verse 19, let everyone be what? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. One of the best verses on parenting right there. James 1.19. Then laughing. You know, I, I tell you, to be able to laugh with your children, a good belly laugh. 
I tell you, that's medicine for the soul. It's medicine for your life. It's medicine for your family. And then share. Share, share, share. Share your heart. Share your story. Share your music. I just want to talk about your singing. You don't sing because why? You don't like their music. Well, somehow you got to come together and sing with them. Sing and there's hope behind that. I, I just, I want to teach my grandson some really cool song. You know, I, you know, I want to sing with him about God. Advanced levels. Advanced levels. We've got to go through this quickly, but I want to say this because all that I just said is, is pretty basic. And again, you can come up with other ideas, maybe in all sorts of better ones, but here's another level now because of the, the bondage and difficulties that we fall into, and your family might be going through it right now, or you individually, you might be going through stuff right now. In facing, there is hope. After each of these ones, we need, or before each of these ones, we need to say, there is hope in facing problems honestly and humbly. We do it honestly because a lot of times we just don't want to admit there's a problem that we have to deal with. I don't want to talk about that. I want to ignore it. And that's foolish. Deal with it. Communicate with it. Do it honestly. Bring it out and say, you know, we, we got to talk about this. It's too, we've been hiding it too long. Deal with it. Do it honestly and humbly. Humbly according to what Jesus just showed us. In Matthew chapter 11. Okay? Work together in working together. There is hope in working together. When we, when you are doing it honestly and humbly, there's hope in, in working together. Not in more blaming, not in more, uh, you know, accusing, but in trusting that God will do it. God will do His work. Now listen, when we are encouragers and edifiers in our homes, there's bridge building constantly going on. Bridge building. And all too often, families and lives are, are taking bridges apart. Suspicion, mistrust, and all that. And bridges in lives, relationships are being broken down. So we need to say, let's be a bridge builder here in our home. Let's constantly, you know, instill this hope in our, in our kids. Then, you know, in, in tough times, you gotta be realizing there is hope when you take a firm stand. There's hope when you take a firm stand. And, the, and folks, most of you know it, the t- at that point where you said, no, this is where it stops, right here. It's not gonna happen anymore. Because I love you. And God loves you. And we are accountable to God. There you've taken a, stand, a strong stand. You've taken a firm stand. And then, on top of that, is a matter of saying, well, let's, We've got to take definite steps. In taking definite steps now, steps meaning what? Which way? (laughs) Let's go forward now. We'll take one step at a time and move forward. You, you, you need to move to that, folks. You, we need to move in that direction. I take a firm stand, but now here we're going to move forward. Definite steps. Then, in receiving support. In receiving support, um, I thank the Lord for Karen Duncan being back home. Amen. And um, 
I bring up Karen because of her uh, coming alongside widows. And um, even if Karen had not have moved here, our widows group support each other. That's the template that we need. And we as a church need to support our widows. Um, upon Sarah's passing, um, I'm sorry, uh, Danny and Deb, Eric and Sheila, because they've been through it, Bill and Lane, because they've been through it, and, and others too, I know, but I don't know your names right now, but the support that's offered there brings hope. Okay? And it's not just in these extreme kind of ways. It's in little ways. I've been there before. I've experienced this. Can I tell you what I, how I had to deal with that? Folks, when we, when we pull together like that as a body of believers, it's like, this is cool. Because hearts are being encouraged with the hope of Jesus Christ. He says that. Mark it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We receive support from others. And the final one is in letting go. Letting go of your anxiety. Trusting God. See, this is so, it's really, here's a basic list. Here's a little bit more advanced list. But folks, I want, I, I want you to be encouraged about talking about it in your family. How can we, how can we uh, instill hope in each other? Maybe your, your nest is empty. But you, you need to say, let's, let's work on this. How do we instill hope in one another? And then... We can go through this week recognizing, yep, I've got the living hope. It's Jesus Christ. If you do not know Him as your Lord and Savior, we, we call out to you. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You, you, if not, you will have to answer for your own sins and you won't be able to answer for them. You'll be lost and thus... You need Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to talk about that, I'll be here and please pull me aside. There's nothing more important than that. And there's other people right here sitting with you that want to talk to you about it. But we say it again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Heavenly Father, we bow before you here and we give you thanks. We thank you for your word and we thank you especially for Jesus, our perfect and wonderful Savior who showed His humility and showed His compassion and showed that He's not going to uh, blow out a smoldering wick or crush a battered reed and throw it away. And Lord, uh, we thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus. Please help us the rest of this day and throughout this week to demonstrate that we know You. Not, not by a big splash, not by trying to impress others with our knowledge, but simply by, here's the, the conduct of our lives and the joy of our life.
Bless each one here, I pray. And thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.